0: Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com queer. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Queer Story. We are your hosts, I'm the used Kleenex you shoved to the bottom of your purse, Evan Jones.
0: And I'm the candy bar with a razor blade in it that your mom warned you about, Paul Hobbs.
1: And we are so glad you're listening as we hit episode number 10. And because, yes, yay, (laughs) get your little flags out. Not and the big
0: ones, though. No, we're not the big ones. We're really not at 100 everybody. yet. No. But you can use the little mini one that they give out, you know. At all that, the
1: parades. Right. They
0: pretend like it's going to do something, but you can't even you fucking see it. And stand
1: there and waving it. But it's better than carrying that massive one around, yeah, because you know, that's you know, I, that's the problem that I make, because I'm like, <laughs> I want the big flag, but I only want the big flag for like 10 seconds. Then you wear it as a cape. I, well, I wore it as a belt. And mission. then everybody <laughs> steps on it because you're afraid, <laughs> and you just... Exactly. Over and over and over again. So get the little flags. Anyways, so episode 10, and because numerical milestones set apart by groups of tens are supposed to mean something in America, Paul and I are celebrating by doing this episode naked.
0: I didn't receive this memo. No.
1: Well, then why are you naked?
0: (laughs) I thought we always (laughs) recorded naked.
1: No, I'm lying about that. We are not naked because we both have body image issues. So thank you to the American media for making us feel unworthy.
0: Thanks, Hollywood. Thank y'all. Even fully clothed and sweating in the midsummer heat while my cats lay on our laps and shed, we are (laughs) are excited to talk today about the Lavender Scare. This will actually be a two-part episode. Possibly three. But... Before we begin, we have to mention our social media. Thank you so much to everyone who has been downloading our episodes. We're close to hitting our first 1,000 downloads, and our first goal is actually 2,000, so we're pretty much halfway there. We're asking you to share our podcast on social media um, because it really helps, and the more you share... Uh, the more likely you are to be able to um, reach someone who actually does need help. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now Tumblr! Ta-da! At Your Queer Story on every single platform. You can also find us at yourqueerstory.com. You can share our podcast from almost any streaming service as well as our website.
1: Also, if you've been paying attention, you noticed we dropped a bonus episode. Um, We did a little get to know you um, interview with Paul and myself as well as our social media representative Samantha Taylor and Paul's mom Kim Osteen. She was a a guest on our show. So if you want to know a little bit more about the two of us or if you just like informal interviews then check check it out on iTunes, Google, Stitcher or our website. And finally, we have launched our blogs, so uh, if you are a reader, then check it out. Um, Paul's got a couple things up there, I'm working on getting a few things up, so if you like to read, go on, we've got some good information there.
0: Absolutely. Um, Without further ado, we're going to jump into our topic for the day, which is the Lavender Scare, and this is actually part one, the Fairy Deal. In
1: 1952, President Truman received a memorandum from three of his aides, which read, Although the matter is frequently discussed in whispers behind hands, a number of responsible persons have advised that the country is really much more disturbed over the picture which has been presented so far of the government being loaded with homosexuals than it is over the clamor about communists in the government. This memo came at the height of McCarthyism. What? So they were
0: more mad that there is gays in the government. Than people who they think are going to overthrow the government.
1: Which is precisely the whole point of the Lavender Scare and this episode and the subsequent episodes. How? How can you be like, well, there is somebody... Well, I'm (laughs) glad you asked, (laughs) Paul. That's why we're doing the episode. Well, I know the
0: reason, but I just don't understand how you could be that person and sit here like... Well, that would literally be me like... I
1: know, I know, I know.
0: I would be like, I don't know. I heard that guy over there straight... But, I mean, Trump got elected by the Russians, but he's straight. We should probably worry about the straight man.
1: Uh, well, that's what you would think. you think that that's what we would be worried about, but no, 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 no. In America, we have always been very, very hung up by what is in people's pants and what people do with the things that are in their pants. That's all we care about, and this... Episode. Since the Puritans. Since the Puritans. And this episode shows it perfectly because McCarthyism, the Red Scare, should have been about communism and communists trying to infiltrate and take over America. But it didn't, it wasn't about that at all. Even today in school, we are still taught that the Red Scare was about communism. But it was not. It's a lie, kids. And that's why we're here. So this memo came at the height of McCarthyism and the Red Scare, which plagued the country country for over a decade. The Red Scare was about communism and keeping the country safe and free from the evil teachings of Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin. But the truth is, as I just said, the Red Scare quickly became a blanket that covered a much darker motive by conservatives to purge the government and the nation of homosexuals and anyone who was different though some did try to proudly proclaim their true intentions to fight the queers, a term that was used often during this time period.
0: Which is why we're reclaiming it.
1: That's right, we're taking it back, bitches. (laughs) Others assumed that hiding their motives would take them farther. And indeed it did. In fact, many today still are not aware that the Lavender Scare, the terrorizing of queer communities, was going on under the guise of the Red Scare. But as always, in order to understand one event in history, we must look back at previous events.
0: The truth is, the Red Scare of the 40s and 50s wasn't even the first Red Scare of the United States. The first Red Scare came on the heels of the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution led by Vladimir Lenin in Russia. Communism had been steadily gaining popularity around the world and threatening government regimes of all kinds. When the Romanov family was brutally unseated from their throne in Russia, a chill ran around the globe among rulers, statesmen, and leaders who feared they might be next. In order to dissuade their citizens from following Lenin's revolt communism was distorted and portrayed as the worst horror that could befall a country of course the bloody revolution in russia and specifically the ferocity shown upon the royal family did not ease any western minds democracy was being threatened and those who held reins in europe and the united states did not intend to let their
1: governments fall so,, uh, yeah, so the Bolshevik Rev- revolution really like spiked fear into the hearts of people everywhere because now the communists, what kind just- of
0: party did they have before communism?
1: Oh, uh, it, it was a the czars. So it was a um, it was a family ruled. The so it was um, like a king and queen type. Yes, thing, so king, okay. the Romanov family was a royal family, and then they, they got they overthrown by up. a
0: communist rule. And then
1: they got overthrown by the communist party, which up until this time it just like they had started to. Was it, a vicious, it was vicious. It well, well yeah. Was yeah, it as bad as the, it was like you'd say the French Revolution? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. wasn't quite that bloody, but it was. They were definitely overthrew the. Um, I mean, they killed everyone that was in any kind of power. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's bloody, but it wasn't like the guillotine where they're dragging people out in in front of crowds. So the big fear here now
0: is that this bloody massacre of everyone in power is going to happen in the United States. That
1: communism is going to take over the United States, because until then- Were they afraid it
0: was going to be a bloody massacre, though, or did they think it was just going to be like- I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it guess just... What got, kind of lead research are you? Well,
1: I'm just saying, I don't know
0: what all the kid. questions I'm were. I'm that kid in high school who was like, this is slightly off topic, but somewhat related, so can we have this question answered, <laughs> Well, you just
1: said, I don't know. I, I assume some people were afraid of all the blood and violence. Mostly, they were just afraid that democracy was going to fall, and they didn't want that. They didn't want communism, because communism was this, like hippie thing of let's all live together and we'll, know, we'll, we'll spare everything equally. And nobody wanted that. They wanted each man to have his independence and his freedom. And mostly they wanted capitalism to thrive. And communism was like the exact opposite of capitalism. So, I mean, there was some justified fear and then there was all, obviously a lot of like conflate or, uh, like, I don't know if it's conflated is the word, but there's like blown up fear. Right. Things you blown up. a depression. real like technical term. <laughs> there's blown up guys, just <laughs> like your cell phone. <laughs> 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 Dad <laughs> jokes. <laughs> Despite the rise of communism on the eastern half of the globe, the tragedies of World War One and the subsequent victories of the Allied powers distracted the American public from their Soviet fears. The roaring 20s brought new life and change to the country, and the Great Depression reminded our nation that no person is above heartache and hunger then as life began to flourish again during the early 1930s queer individuals began to emerge in the public eye the capital of the country became a particularly gay spot with open gatherings of homosexual men and women cross-dressers and non-binary individuals the urbanization of washington dc during this period allowed for thousands of young people from around the country to come together seeking work and finding their own in the meantime the growth of LGBTQ communities is a common byproduct of urbanization. We see how similar groups had been formed in New York City, San Francisco, and Chicago just decades earlier. So anytime you study the growth of, of queer communities, um, you see that it's because some kind of event brought people to, you know, to that area. And urbanization always, you know, like it's the whole, it's, I mean, even today we run away to the big city. I mean, we didn't yeah. run away to the big city, but we ran away from Indiana.
0: <laughs> to a bigger a bigger State area, area yeah.
1: yeah and we even see it like there's a higher population of of queer individuals in new york a higher population in san francisco and los angeles and well
0: i think it's because that since we are a percentage of the population and a minority the more people you have concentrated in one area the more likely there are to be a higher number of gay people
1: just because the percentages are well yeah but also but i mean well, like, there's high populations in... Well, yeah,
0: obviously the cities definitely have a higher percentage of gay people than other areas, mm-hmm. I mean, just because there's, I
1: don't know, well, like I, said, I mean, it's there's urban... so many reasons. It's urbanization, Yeah, you know, where, uh, as opposed to, like, suburbanization, where, like, you know, a bunch of, you know, families with their homes, you know, settling down, or... There's
0: usually also, I don't know if it's factual or not, but
1: I'm just gonna say it like it's a fact, because <laughs> this is our podcast. Take this as a fact, questions. When you
0: have smaller communities, there's usually more religion.
1: Well, that's well. It's easier. To, uh, it's easier to control them by religion. Yes. And when you don't, when you have diverse communities, you're going to have diverse opinions and mm-hmm. perspective, and therefore you're going to have more diverse political leanings. Where, but whereas if you put one group of people that are all exactly the same in one area, it's like the Midwest, t- they all tend to think alike. Go figure. Yeah. So while this is all
0: going on, remember from our uh, from two episodes from two episodes ago we started talking about hollywood and how in the 1930s they started to um, blacklist uh homosexuals from uh, television so while this is going on in another area you have to remember also simultaneously there's less and less representation of homosexual people and media yep. um which allows the public to think they're that they aren't real people, I guess? That they don't really exist? I feel exist. like they
1: felt like they kind of, like, going under the ground, like, here, oh, look at this gay phase of the 1920s, and then, like, they just kind of disappeared from the public's mind, and we're going to see that they, they did. They It they was like, people just kind of forgot about the homosexual for a while, and that was great. That was great for the... And when we say homosexual... This was an all-encompassing term, right? So in the
0: nineteen twenties, thirties, forties, all that homosexual meant anybody who wasn't straight, no matter what orientation or gender identity you had.
1: Exactly, yeah, like yeah, um, you know, a transgender individual would have just been classified as a homosexual or a sex pervert, which was actually the term that they used the most: sex pervert, sex deviant. Which someone told me that I used the word deviant a lot. And that's not my word. That's the word that was used so much during this time period. It was actually a, the legal reference to a homosexual was sex deviant, right. or sex pervert. And
0: we don't want to change. We don't want to uh, illustrate history in a different light that it actually happened, unlike yeah. most common history books that are portrayed, yeah. so we like to keep things as accurate as possible and use the terminology used in the time period. So when we're talking about different time periods or different things, we would probably use the word deviant less. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, exactly, in another time period it wouldn't be, but it's important to remember how we were referred to, so when people say, ah, it wasn't that bad for the homosexual, yeah it was, um, and this is how people perceived us, and also t- words matter. Okay, anyways.
0: So, the unique thing about Washington is that it's it is the nation's capital and thus the center of American government. As Franklin Roosevelt worked to establish that the tenets of his New Deal, uh, more federal employees were required. From 1930 to 1942, the federal payroll jumped from 70,000 workers to 270,000 workers, an increase of 200,000 people. In case you can't do math. <laughs> Thanks. During World War II, it is estimated that 5,000 new jobs were created each month. In later years, some conservatives would look for a master plan that exposed how so many homosexuals were planted into the State Department, but the truth is, economics and a basic need to fill job openings was the reason for the swell and queer employment.
1: Yep, more jobs needed, more people came. So, Just as, you know, with any other statistic,
0: you're always going to have a percentage. And if you're hiring 200,000 people, there's going to be a percentage of them that are gay. Exactly. Especially in an, an urban area where there's a higher percentage of LGBTQ,
1: LGBTQ. individuals. Exactly. Another reason to consider why LGBTQ individuals gravi- gravitated towards federal civil service is due to its appeal for those outside of societal norms. A merit-based system filled positions through competitive examination. This allowed for individuals to be rated on their work and experience rather than by their family name, title, or other personal identifiers. But we must state that the system was not completely unbiased. An applicant must first be accepted into the program and there was strong prejudice against any people of color. You were actually required to submit a, a picture if you could and so... That way they could look and tell right away, well, we don't want you because you're a person of color. I was
0: going to just say, well, then they look him up on Facebook, but you
1: know. <laughs> no, no, they did not. They looked him up in the old Facebook, which is a picture taped to the front of your application. <laughs> but women, however, did fare far better in Washington than they did in any other part of the country. The capital had actually been fairly gender integrated since the Civil War when the lack of men forced the government to hire female labor clerical work in federal offices became increasingly feminized, and by the 1940s, nearly 60% of the federal workforce was made up of women. The head of the Women's Bureau, Mary Anderson, once stated, Nowhere, perhaps, has the advance of women with any employer been more dramatic than with Uncle Sam.
0: But women weren't the only ones drawn to clerical work. A study at the University of Chicago in the 1930s found that half of gay men interviewed held clerical positions. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> given Not the, much has changed. Given right. the amount, you know, the, the type of jobs at the time, you could be like working in a factory, making things. Or right, yeah. Like, do
1: you want to go down in the coal mines and suck in coal all day, or do you want to sit in an office?
0: And... I would have 100% been like, um, here's your letter, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> Didn't your stepfather
1: want you to work in the steel mine? Oh, and... my
0: God. I would have been the worst steel mill. War- steel mill. So my steel stepfather, mill, yeah. Um, yeah. which... Granted it is a, a, probably the best job I could have gotten in the area um, yeah he wanted, yeah. wanted me to get a job at a steel mill, which you know in his mind was not had obviously nothing to do with my sexuality or anything but strictly to do with the fact that this is the best job you're gonna get yeah and I would have not. I would have probably blown the place up and killed everybody, not intentionally, but that is I... absolutely true. Paul
1: <laughs> should never be around any kind of, of big machinery.
0: It would have been like a scene out of a movie. I, I would have like tripped, my shoe would have flown off, it would have got caught yeah. in a cog somewhere, the thing would have turned and molten like steaming steel yeah. would have like poured out all over the floor. Somebody would have slipped on the molten steel or like melted their foot off and threw a broom somewhere that broke a light and just ignited I, the whole true. place. It would have been bad.
1: And it's not because you're not a technical person, because you are. You fix your car all the time. Time. I've seen you put together all kinds of like different. I don't know, one of, like, like, a, like a, a fan or a lamp or something like. It's not that you can't do that. You just, you just are so clumsy. And when you're responsible for the lives of so many people, it's just not <laughs> healthy. It's
0: not a good idea. It right, was oh,
1: so these men would become known
0: as fairies and distinctly marked their sexuality through their clothing, clothing and mannerisms. While office, work may have, while office work may be hard to come by in a small town or even the local city, especially for an openly, openly identified ferry, positions were abundant in Washington, D.C. Gay men from all over the country joined lesbians and straight women in filling the much-needed openings. One queer individual wrote about the Capitol during this time, I believe two-thirds of the population here are homosexual. That's true. That sounds like a lot of fun. I bet every night was a party. Oh, it (laughs) was.
1: We got to talk about that. Washington. uh, I would would have loved to go to Washington, D.C. in the 1920s and 30s. The 30s. I would have loved to be. Like, if I was going to pick a time, that would be one of the time periods that I would want to visit. So World War II only made local policing more lax in the new metropolis, and nightlife and LGBTQ communities flourished. While homosexuality and cross-dressing was still illegal, it seemed that the capital as a whole followed the rule that what one does in the privacy of one's own home was one's business. In the few cases where an individual was fired for being queer, they were often quickly able to find employment somewhere else. And though couples could not openly show heavy affection on the streets, there were still plenty of dances, parties, and underground bars. Maggie's, the showboat, and Carol's were all popular gay hangouts of the time. In fact, the owner of the showboat once complained to Harmy headquarters about servicemen coming in and harassing his clientele. About 75% of my customers are what are known as queer. He stated to an army official in 1936 and asked the army to prevent recruits from visiting his bar anymore. So they were going in. What are you laughing at?
0: That just sounds like so much fun. It sounds like everybody was gay. Every single person. Everybody was. And when
1: you came in and you harassed the gay people, the owners were like, no, you need to get out. The owner of the showboat, he had kind of split it in half. He like says in there too, but I didn't put it in here. Like, he says in the book, like, um, he, like, he had them split down the middle. He's like, I make all the fairies go over here, and I make all the army recruits go over here. But all the army recruits were still yelling over at the fairies, giving you know them what? a hard time.
0: No, it's because they wanted them.
1: Oh, I'm sure they did. No, actually, Carol's was a, um, was the, it would have been the leather bar of the day. Or it would have been the butch bar. Like, right. that's where all the tough, so, so Maggie's was, like, kind of the lesbian bar. The showboat was like the, the, the twinks. And Carol's were all the rough guys that didn't... All the guys... This is their words. The guys that didn't identify as gay but loved to fuck men wins.
0: <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> we're looking at, at, at you, mask for mask on Grinder with no profile
1: picture. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, so like, so like guys would go to Carol's and they would hook up. And if, if a guy like, went to Carol to, like, gay bash to, like, find a... Like, if a group of men went to Carol's to, like, find a, a gay man and take him out and beat him up, that guy then got beat up by all the gay guys in the bar. So, like... Good for them. Exactly. so And like, let me tell you,
0: a gay beating is a lot worse than a straight oh, beating. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and these were tough guys. So Carol's was like, all the tough, rugged, like... I don't know, like, the bears and the... I don't know, all of the them. The leather
0: daddies. The and... leather
1: daddies, yeah. But, yeah, so there was something for everyone. So there was a really, like, like, lit gay like um, queer community going yeah. on like a lot of bars and these and we say underground bars because they couldn't put a rainbow flag out front which the rainbow flag hadn't even come yet but they couldn't put like a we're queer and we're here but, but everybody knew exactly everybody knew it just wasn't, they, they weren't hiding it yeah it just wasn't and like i set said outside of their body. and they and the owners clearly knew that they that they were making money like the owner of the showboat said 75 percent of his customers are queer like you can't come in here and be harassing the queer people that's how i make my money
0: yeah Hey, my little queer students, thanks for listening to the Your Queer Story podcast. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial just for you to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you're looking for a great book to listen to, I recommend calling Me By Your Name. It's the story of a sudden and powerful romance that blossoms between an adolescent boy and a summer guest at his parents' cliffside mansion on the Italian Riviera. During the restless summer weeks, unrelenting but buried currents of obsession, fascination, and desire intensify their passion as they test the charged ground between them and verge towards the one thing they both already fear they may never truly find again, total intimacy. So if you like to get all hot and bothered, this is probably the book for you. To download your free audiobook today, just go to audibletrial.com slash queer. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash queer. Private gay and lesbian weddings were common, and housing for large groups of men or women allowed couples to live together without much detection. We want to make a statement that at this time, while they did have weddings, they weren't marriages, so they held the wedding... But the marriage was not actually recognized by anyone. Exactly. I mean, besides the community, but officially, legally, it was not recognized.
1: Of course. And, I mean, we talked about that in our Hollywood episode where people like uh, Cary Grant and Rock Hudson, they had weddings themselves. But, of course, it wasn't legally, you know, they didn't have any rights with it. It was just some commitment that they made to each other. Right.
0: The Young Men's Christian Association, or the YMCA, was a particular hotbed of homosexual activity as it provided rooms to many new lavender lads who had just arrived to the city. The term lavender lads was coined as yet another euphemism similar to fairy. Another advancement that affected all young and single Americans, as well as some not-so-young and not-so-single U.S. residents, like the married men, (laughs) was penicillin. Introduced to the public in 1943, by the end of the decade, venereal diseases such as syphilis and gonorrhea had dropped dramatically. This, of course, allowed for much more sexual activity, and places such as Lafayette Park and the Washington Mall were notorious for hookups and make-out sessions. Gore Vidal, a very prominent author of the 20th century, once stated about the time period, We were enjoying perhaps the freest sexuality that all Americans would ever
1: know. I added the word all. Thanks. Thanks for, for ad-libbing him there. I don't know if I agree with the statement. I mean, this was, he said this years later. And maybe, I don't know if I agree with that, is the freest sexuality that Americans would ever know. But it was set definitely a very free time. Um, and he could have been saying this later in, like, the 60s and 70s. I mean, it didn't get good again for the homosexuals until... Recently. Yeah, what, the 2000s? Honest, yeah. Like, yeah, I would really. say, like,
0: 2000... I mean, like, okay, so in my—I mean, you grew up completely different than I did, and I don't really Uh know much about that time period. We'll probably cover it in the future because I wasn't out, so I didn't follow LGBT news at the time, Um, but I would say definitely around, like, 2008 was—I feel like it kind of
1: started to, like— The 2000s, 90s, people started, like— in the 90s, it was like, you could you could be gay. There was any legal. Um, there was, like, transgender individuals were able to start, like, really getting access to medicine. I mean, for the first time, really getting access to medicine. They were starting to have a public voice, public forum that wasn't completely negative. It wasn't great, but you were able to live with your partner. But you didn't have the rights. There was still a lot of discrimination. You could still be kicked out of your house. You could still you 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 didn't have any protection you it didn't was have like any you protection. know what if this,
0: no. if this is what we think you're gone it's
1: like here it's like yeah you can live your life we will let you live your life but whatever comes from the choices that you make that's on you
0: right
1: so and while public uh, so in in line with a uh, back to like all the gay hook up and the sex that's happening in Lafayette park and around while public affection had to be limited in front of the heterosexual civilians cuz god help them if they had to see any of that being queer in washington during the 30s and 40s wasn't hidden actually i want to make one statement is that um one man uh wrote his boyfriend grabbed his hand while they were out and a woman looked over and she gasped. and the boyfriend said let her look because the next time she won't be so shocked you know that's true though yep open picnics and gatherings of sometimes 200 lgbtq individuals often took place in front of the lincoln memorial Friends and couples would often roller skate around the park holding hands and were rarely ever disturbed by park police. The poet Havlin Ferris explained,
0: To assume for those of us in the 30s, a dreary and repressed social life hardly fits the facts. The problem of personal acceptance of oneself as gay seems a greater problem now than it used to be. I can honestly say that I never knew what the closet was, for there was never a time when I or my friends were not out of it. So
1: there's a Wow, very... that's
0: actually really beautiful.
1: Yeah, it was. It was like, yeah, it's like, we didn't know what the closet was. We didn't know, like, they accepted themselves. They were fine. And and people knew, like, people that they worked with knew that they were gay. So it wasn't that people went around, like, blaring that they were homosexual. They didn't do that. They kept it quiet, you know. What you do in the privacy of your own home is your, your business. But their close friends knew. So, like, one young man talked about how he checked into the YMCA and his the woman at the front desk asked him, you know, like where his partner was and to and he's like always oh, away visiting family. She's like, "Oh, do you miss him?" So like she knew that it wasn't just a friendship. This wasn't just his buddy. And then and people would even invite some of their non-gay friends that they could trust to their weddings or to, you know, their parties where there was like, you know, people be openly expressing themselves. So like he said, like there wasn't a we weren't in the closet. The closet didn't come around until later.
0: The Great War ended and America and its capital were booming with both economic success success and the country's new status as the world's leading power. Soldiers returned home to their families and towns that had been diminished due to the war's toll now spring back to life. The GI Bill, which allowed veterans to have their college paid for, infused universities and campuses across the nation with veterans seeking a higher education. Women who held jobs and established careers during the fight with Hitler now felt confident furthering their roles in a man's world. And even integration in the military had allowed for minds to be opened and hearts to be softened towards people of color as the civil rights movement gained new momentum. In fact, in all this flurry, there was only one group that truly felt left out, and you'll never guess who it was. Straight, white, Republican men.
1: What? But they're always so, like... They never feel left out. They're always so good at taking everything and letting everyone else have the spotlight.
0: How? I mean, okay, they have absolutely access to everything... They ha- have absolutely no reason to fight for anything. Well, they're like, well, why don't we get to fight for our rights? Why don't we exactly. get to have... Why don't we Where's get to have Where's the straight parade?
1: white parade? That's all they want to know. Where's the straight white Why don't parade? we get to...
0: I mean, we can get married. Why can't we be in the street complaining about marriage?
1: <laughs> right? You can, if you want to.
0: <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, PSA, we don't hate straight white men. We don't. We hate... We don't hate the hypocrites. We... <laughs> don't understand how you can have access to everything that you could ever want
1: and still feel limited yeah and feel that because people are calling you out for it that somehow that limits your voice nobody's limiting nobody's doing that no one's limiting your voice you could still say what you want you've always been able to say what you want we're just calling you hypocrites for your bolshevik i'm gonna say bolshevik through this whole thing all right, so Republicans have been taking a political beating for nearly two decades. Their last member—I spelled it there wrong. Anyways, their last member of the party to hold the presidency was Herbert Hoover, who was widely despised for the bumbling way he handled the early years of the Great Depression. Paul is laughing at Herbert Hoover's name. <laughs> Just yes, He bit. is a 12-year-old. <laughs> when FDR took office and restored order, the Democrats were seen as heroes. And when the commander-in-chief safely guided the U.S. through the World War— though parties seemed untouchable as long as Roosevelt stayed in office. In fact, he was elected four times, making him the only president in history to do so. However, unfortunately for uh, Democrats, but Republicans could breathe a sigh of relief when Roosevelt fell ill and died just after starting his fourth term. He died just, like, right, um, he died in April of 1945, just before Hitler uh, committed suicide as Germany was falling, and just a few months before... Um, Truman decided to drop an awful atomic bomb on a bunch of innocent people.
0: When Vice President Truman, who filled FDR's place as the vice president does, didn't restore the nation to its previous social norms, Republicans were certain the old boy wouldn't last a second term. Truman's ratings were low, and most analysts did project that he was likely to be defeated. Republican candidate Thomas Dewey was so confident Truman wouldn't be reelected that he hardly even campaigned during the 1948 elections. When Harry Truman pulled through and won the election, many across the nation were shocked. The Chicago Tribune in particular was extremely shocked because they had already printed their papers to read, Dewey defeats Truman, and Truman actually held up that paper in a now infamous picture as a fuck you to Chicago Tribune.
1: The Chicago Tribune was a very um, Republican newspaper at the at the time, and was really they were upset.
0: Yep. So Republicans were desperate to find a way to unseat the Democrats, and their answer came in the form of Joseph McCarthy and the trial of Alger
1: Hiss. I think it's Alger, but maybe it's Alger. Now I don't know. This whole time i have been like Alger Hiss, but I don't know. Alright, so in 1948, the so-called Trial of the Century, which there's literally like... There's
0: 300 of them.
1: There's 300 in the 20th century that was a <laughs> Trial of the Century. The Lindbergh was a trial was a Trial of the Century in the, you know, um, the Lindbergh Baby Trial. And there was that other one with the two brothers that killed their parents. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. That was a Trial of the Century. The so-called... Another so-called Trial of the Century erupted into the national scene when the U.S. State Department official out... Alger? Alger? I have to know how to say this guy's name.
0: No, you don't. It doesn't matter. Alger
1: Hiss. It matters. It matters to him. Alger Hiss was accused of being a Russian spy. The accusation rocked the capital and the country as a whole, who seemed to have quite forgotten the dangers of communism. Actually, several communist chapters had opened in many different states across the nation. Last week, we talked about Bayard Rustin and how he was a member of the Young Communist League um, for a couple years. Members carried their membership cards in little red booklets to identify themselves when attending meetings, though many preferred to keep their party leanings quiet as there was still certainly a stigma surrounding communism. While citizens in the private sectors were certainly permitted to, to their own political viewpoints, federal employees were another matter altogether. When news broke out that the department official may be a communist seeking to infiltrate American democracy, the old irrational and suffocating fear of communism began to rise.
0: So the reason that communism was so scary is because this is what the straight white American white man has put into place, Mm. capitalism, and a two-party system, and heaven forbid anybody with an outside political opinion mm-hmm. have some sort of say in the government
1: whitaker chambers a self-reformed communist and self-reformed homosexual so that means he used to be a communist and he used to be a homosexual but he's found jesus hallelujah accused Alger hiss of soliciting him to pass along information to the soviet union hiss vehemently denied the accusations and sued chambers for slander However, during a congressional hearing, Alger was caught lying about having known Chambers and having passed along confidential documents to Chambers. Uh, there's a lot of debate about whether Alger Hiss was actually a communist, but he did lie about knowing Chambers, and he did lie about passing documents to him. Now, he said he thought he was that Chambers used a false name and he thought it was a different guy. Whatever. But because of this, Hiss was taken to trial for perjury, with the first trial ending in a hung jury in nineteen forty nine, but the second Finding him guilty in 1950. Aldrich has <laughs> served just over three years in prison and maintained his innocence until his death. But the case brought back a larger black cloud over Washington, D.C.
0: Republicans had been demanding investigations into the State Department throughout Truman's first term as president. In 1947, the Personal Security Board was formed by Secretary of State George Marshall and headed by John Purifoy. Purifoy had come to the Capitol just over a decade earlier. And had stated, had started as a mere elevator operator before gaining an official position in 1938. Now he was in charge of assessing security risks on the capital. The main target for these risks seemed obviously geared towards communists. Yet a warning administered to Marshall in June of 1947 spoke of other potential threats to national c- security. The letter stated, "There is a deliberate, calculated." Program being carried out not only to protect communist personnel in high places, but to reduce security and intelligence protection to a nullity. The letter continued to warn that the department be aware of the excessive employment and highly classified positions of admitted homosexuals
1: who are historically known to be security risks. How on earth could the committee have arrived at the idea that homosexuals were historically known to be security risks? I'm so glad you asked. How? In 1913, Colonel Alfred Riedel of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire was discovered as a Russian spy, and it was found that the fall of the empire was nearly single-handedly brought about by the arch-traders' decade-long espionage. It is estimated that Riedel was directly responsible for the deaths of half a million of his own countrymen and was originally brought on as a spy when he was blackmailed by the Soviet intelligence for being a homosexual. So Alfred Riedel... Is the reason why people said that they could say that all communists are homosexuals and Russian spies, and it was incredibly dangerous because he did bring down the Austrian-Hungarian Empire and also helped to erode it so that further people would be involved in World War One because this is 1913 and 1914, the World War One happened and. Austria was not prepared the way that they thought due to being hacked by Russia for the last 10 years through Alfred Riedel. Oh my god, Russia hacking? Yeah, I know. What happens when
0: Russians hack?
1: Nothing happens. You know what, though? Because Putin said that they didn't do it, so they definitely, most certainly didn't do it. Right.
0: I mean, if our president (laughs) says that they didn't do it because he was told they didn't do it, and he denounces our entire security team in the United States... I mean, who else are we
1: going to Let believe? me tell you something. Anytime a dictator comes forward and says that they didn't do something, they definitely did not do it. No. 100%. That's what I found from American history. If the dictator said- From world history. From, yeah, it's from world history. If the dictator says they didn't do it, don't worry about it. Stalin didn't kill all those people. Mao Zedong didn't kill all of his people. Hitler, Hitler didn't burn all those Jews. Absolutely not. Never happens. Never once. No, no, nope. no. Nope.
0: So- We want to take this moment to point out that Alfred Riedel was not a torn and tortured soul who turned on his countrymen for fear of his secret being exposed. It may be true that his sexuality was used to first bribe him onto Russia's payroll. However, greed, arrogance, and a thrill of spying kept Riedel tied to the Soviets for 11 years, weakening the Austrian Empire substantially over time. So he was a villain. He was not somebody who was... um, put in an unfortunate situation uh for his own safety and was just
1: like oh i don't know what to do right
0: he 100 percent was an asshole
1: and i want to say that because i uh, like several months ago i saw something about him that was like oh poor alfred riedel you know blackmailed by russians into betraying his his country no no he was an asshole he was a literal asshole go ahead
0: Read lived an extravagantly lavish lifestyle and even lured his closest friends to Soviet prisons or death in return for a larger bank account. When finally confronted with his lies on May 25th, 1913, Alfred ended his own life rather than to be publicly exposed for the fraud and traitor that he was.
1: The FBI knew for sure that homosexuals could be blackmailed because Alger Hiss's son Timothy was a homosexual and the FBI blackmailed Timothy into testifying against his father at the hearing. So the FBI knew pretty damn well that a homosexual could be blackmailed. Mm -hmm.
0: This story, the story of Alfred Riedel, and all of its scandalous glory, certainly made the rounds in newspapers across the world and fed the lie that Russian spies were everywhere and homosexuals were the Soviets' first prey. So it wouldn't have been much of a surprise when, when Secretary Marshall set up a list of security principles to detect risks which included communists, spies, their associates, and those who exhibited signs of a weak character. The signs of weak characters were listed as habitual drunkenness, sexual perversion, a.k.a. homosexuality, because that is the term used back then, moral turpitude, a legal term that can include murder, manslaughter, violence, or kidnapping, financial irresponsibility, or criminal record. This list... So... In case you didn't catch that, homosexuals <laughs> were listed alongside murderers and kidnappers and all those
1: kind of people. So. Exactly, all the worst of humanity. Just says we always have it. Just lump them in there with the criminals.
0: Yep, this list was published in every newspaper in Washington and in other areas and and in others around the country for the next three years. Things seemed quiet in Washington from the public's perspective until Alger Hiss was convicted in January of 1950, and the question of communists in the State Department would explode on the National Forum. But this time, another, more frightening question would be linked to the investigation of security risks inside Washington, D.C. What about the queers?
1: While queer life had thrived in Washington during the 30s and the first half of the 40s, new attention was being paid to the LGBTQ community, and it wasn't good. Although Alfred Kinsey released his book Sexual Behavior in the Human Male in 1948, uh, which was a best, bestseller of the time, and showed that homosexuality was relatively common, public opinion was more alerted than shifted. The same year, Congress passed an act for the treatment of sexual psychopaths, which called for the arrest and punishment of those caught in same-sex acts. In addition, queers were labeled as mentally ill and could be locked away in asylums. As the capital began to constrict on its LGBTQ population, one man would be used to deliver the final blow. This motherfucker. This mother. you know what? Yeah, I mean I, I, in the beginning, I I don't hate Joseph McCarthy. He's literally the fucking asshole who is like, "I have this fake list of people." But this
0: list is the reason that the country's gonna fall.
1: But there's more. There's more to it. There's more to it. He becomes that person. He does take. He takes no, advantage. He
0: was a nobody yeah. who wanted to get popular, so he exploited fucking weak people. But
1: the other of Republicans, as we will hear, are the ones who masterminded him. They used him as a puppet, and then he and and, and he no, was.
0: he was an asshole. He wanted to get famous. He wanted to get popular. So he fucking. I'm not justifying situation. what he did.
1: I'm not justifying what he did. I'd say that there were other... The, the Republican Party as a whole was behind all of this, and they used McCarthy the way that Trump's being used as a puppet for those behind so him.
0: you feel bad for Trump? I don't feel bad for Trump. But you feel I wasn't bad for saying I felt Trump. bad. I'm
1: just saying I felt like he started with a re- with one cause. I think he started to stop communism, and he didn't really care about homosexuals. He thought that homosexuals were twisted people, but he it wasn't that he was trying to get the rid of homosexuals he was trying to get rid of communists and then people played on it in february
0: of 1950 joseph mccarthy an unknown republican senator from wisconsin made a claim to a woman's republican group that he knew of 205 card carrying communists in the capitol state department which by the way this number varied all over. The, it wasn't ever just two hundred five. It was like two hundred five. Then it was fifty seven. Then it was two hundred two. He never actually had a right number. I don't well, th-
1: because he, he didn't. He didn't have a number. He just said he, said he, he just needed. threw out a
0: number at any time. I
1: don't think he expected this speech to go public. I think he was just getting up there and blowing steam. And he's like, I know, two hundred five, god-caring communists. But if
0: you're gonna fucking lie. Keep your life straight. Well, Don't go to one group and say 205, the next group and say 57, the next group 172. Like, you gotta at least be... Because someone. he
1: didn't have all the facts. He was just throwing it out there. But still, at least keep your life straight. That's I, I, I know, I know. I agree.
0: The story erupted into a mad spectacle with reporters swarming McCarthy and the State Department demanding answers. Quickly, the term communists was changed to bad risks, and the number was dropped from 205 to 57... However, Congress and the American public were now also interested and requesting specifics. On February twentieth, McCarthy stood before the Senate chamber and stated his findings as they pertained to communism. Among the list were two cases that included homosexuality. Specifically, case number sixty-two that covered a whole group of queers involved in the young and commun- involved in the Young Communist League. McCarthy said of the case. I think this will be of interest to the committee, and that it gives a rather interesting picture of some rather unusual mental twists of these gentlemen who are tied up with handcuffs and belts and ropes with some Uh, of the.
1: Mr. McCarthy, Mr. McCarthy, (laughs) you have an erection. Sir, please sit down.
0: (sighs) It's the homosexuals. This is their agenda! So, who are tied up with these, with some of the communist organizations. In further later comments about communists as a whole, McCarthy described them as such. If you had been in this work as long as we have been, you would realize-
1: Mr. McCarthy, we told you to put your erection away. I'm
0: wearing extremely tight pants. It's not uh, my erection. I'm
1: sure you're wearing extremely
0: tight pants. Go <laughs> continue. You would realize that there is something wrong with each one of these individuals, you will find that particularly every active communist is twisted mentally or physically in some way. So, as you
1: could see, if you were listening, if you could hear past all the erection jokes, McCarthy used the same description for both homosexuals and communists, thereby solidifying the two in the minds of congressmen, journalists, and thus the American public. On February 28th, a week later, a second hearing was held, this time with the new Secretary of State, Dean Acheson, and the still head of Personal Security Board, John Purifoy. During the hearing, it seemed as if McCarthy would be made to look like a fool— for his claim of 57 card-carrying communists, as Atchison declared that only one person in the State Department had actually been removed as a security risk. Yet, Republican Chairman Style Bridges, and this is the asshole that I think... Style bridges was a shrewd man who knew exactly where he wanted to take the hearing the truth is purifoy had been interviewed a few weeks earlier and had already spilled vital information that bridges and republicans were ready to capitalize on however that hearing had been private while this one was available to the public and especially news journalists Remember how we said Republicans needed a plug back into the White House after 20 years of exile? Well, that plug was about to be made, and in fact would become the foundation for Republican politics for the next 80 years through
0: our current date. Bridges began to drill the state secretary about guidelines on what would constitute a security risk. Atchison stated risks were determined by
1: Whether the person has, as a matter of character, any defect that would lead him into any of these difficulties.
0: Such as homosexuality.
1: Well, yes, that would be included.
0: Attention Hollywood, if you're looking for two gay people to bring yourself back into the light, where the people to Are you pick. looking
1: for two gay people that you can hide away into side roles? Because we'll be really great at that. We know you don't like to put us in any lead roles. Also, everybody. I don't
0: want the responsibility of a lead role, so I probably... that's okay.
1: <laughs> that what's really been happening all the time? Like, probably, <laughs> Oh, God, no, really? I just like to be the extra. Yeah. No. <laughs> So it was about this time that John Purifoy, perhaps anxious to make the State Department look good, suddenly declared that 91 individuals had been dismissed or forced to resign under investigation. Most of these were homosexuals, Mr. Chairman, he said. In fact, all but that single individual removed strictly for communism had been let go due to their orientation.
0: Records showed that 31 homosexuals were terminated from federal employment in 1947. 28 in 1948, and 31 in 1949. Quietly, the government had been removing the individuals who helped to carry and shape our country during the formative years that followed the Great Depression into the Great War. But now, Republicans needed to use queer communities as a platform to launch them back into the White House. So that might not sound like that much, but the government at that time wasn't as big as it is today. No. And also... These were people who were being removed strictly for being gay. It yeah. wasn't like they were failing at their jobs. It wasn't like they were um, doing anything wrong. They weren't actually... There's no job yeah,
1: performance issues.
0: They weren't actually linked to communism. They were just gay.
1: Exactly, and these are people that could have been held, holding these jobs for 10 or 15 years by now, 30, even longer. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, but, I mean well, over time. Yeah, when you take in the rise in the 20s into the 30s, at least 10 to 15 years, I mean, people come, and they're secure in their jobs, and all of a sudden, they're being removed. So, though McCarthy had nothing to do with the termination of homosexuals, or even the revelation that there were so many in the State Department, he was given full credit for both. Conservative congressmen praised him across the country, with the Republican senator of Illinois gushing, "He has forced the State Department to fire ninety-one sex perverts! Letters of support for McCarthy and his new crusade poured in, and an examination of his mail concluded that only one fourth of over twenty-five thousand letters centered around communism. The rest were all from individuals expressing outrage over the sex depravity of the sex of the State Department. One journalist noted. The writers are less worried
0: over ideological tendencies of the State Department officers who are involved than they are by their nasty moral habits. And by nasty, they mean anal.
1: Exactly. (laughs) A woman from New York wrote, The homosexual situation in our State Department is no more shocking than your statement that they are uncertain what to do about it. Let every American who loves this country get behind McCarthy or any committee which will thoroughly investigate and expose every one of these people. We must rid our government of these creatures.
0: Republicans had hit a gold mine in Joseph McCarthy, even though he still seemed set on weeding out communists rather than homosexuals. This is not to give McCarthy any credit for being tolerant of LGBTQ individuals, because he was not. He simply really hated communism, however, Senator Bridges, the sly old fox, suggested to Joe that he redirect his campaign towards bad security risks as a whole. A man doesn't have to be a spy or a communist to be a bad security risk, Bridges told McCarthy. He can be a drunkard or a criminal or a homosexual. Let me
1: just slide that one in there. Oh, my erection, sir.
0: (laughs) The senator also pointed out that drunks and fairies were easier to catch than communists. And so Joseph McCarthy did redirect his unbridled energies and released it upon the thousands of queer individuals who had established their homes in Washington, D.C. The number 91 would soon become minuscule compared to the thousands who would follow.
1: However, we know you're on the edge of your seat, but that is all we have time for today. So we have filled our brains and yours with far too much information and if we continue our minds will explode but don't worry we will have more about the Lavender Scare for you next week and possibly even the week after because we want to make sure we do this story justice by the way our main short resource for this topic is the book written by David K. Johnson titled The Lavender Scare the Cold War persecution of gays and lesbians in the federal government it is incredibly informative and very well written if you're interested then uh, check it out.
0: And our recommended resource today is Hannah Gatsby Nanette, which is available on Netflix. This is the essential viewership in today's climate. Honestly, it's just over an hour long, and I promise you it's worth every second of that hour. Hannah Gatsby Nanette, check it out.
1: And once again, remember you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. We have our episodes and our blog on our website at yourqueerstory.com and we'd super appreciate it if you would share our podcast with your friends and family or if you hate us share it with your enemies and we'll do our best to annoy them. But until then stay queer.
0: And don't get a lobotomy.
1: And suck the lips of a savory sapphis.
0: And follow your lavender bible you naughty queer Ciao. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story.
0: Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash Your Queer Story.
1: And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash Your Queer Story.
0: See you next week. Bye. Bye.